This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. The topic I'm always fascinated by is how to find the next product your customers will love. Is it combing through the data, market research, a deep connection with your customer, or all of the above? Today, we have a guest who started in one vertical before finding their flagship product in a completely different vertical. We're going to talk about how she found that product and how the customer experience has evolved because of it. Today, we have Nell Diamond, founder of Hill House Home, joining us. Welcome to the show, Nell. Thank you. So excited to be here. Now, before we we jump into anything, I wanted to just give you 30 seconds to explain Hill House. What are you guys all about? What do you do? Sure. So Hill House Home is a direct-to-consumer lifestyle brand, and we're all about happy things for happy places. So that's our very broad definition. We make everything from baby and kids' clothes to bedding to towels to our hero product, which is called the nap dress. Um, But generally, the kind of thread that weaves it all together, it's happy things. I love that happy things. And like you said, Hill House Home, and you just said that one of your bestsellers is a dress. Obviously, with a name like Hill House Home, it doesn't sound like apparel was always kind of the number one bestseller. Or was it? Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Um, So we started in 2016. The name of the company is Hill House Home. We sometimes go by just Hill House or HHH, but home is the foundation of our business and particularly bedding is the foundation of our business. So we launched in 2016 with only one product category, which was bedding. And for me as the founder, kind of the vision of the brand was always to be not definable. So to be in a lot of categories, to really be kind of a modern lifestyle brand. But we had to start somewhere. And we started with bedding because I thought it was one of the segments of the lifestyle space that felt the most strange. And by strange, I mean strange supply chain dynamics, strange pricing, and really a dearth of what I find to be super high design at really great prices. So you can find kind of your simple sheets at a range of prices. But what we wanted to do was bring this kind of like design-minded aesthetic to the home space with our first bedding collection. And now, you know, 2016 to 2021, our hero product is a dress. And I remember saying in kind of the early days, we were going to let customers decide. So we were not going to go in here, even though I did go to business school and I did do all the planning and Excel spreadsheeting to try and figure out what was in our future. I really, it's always been important to me to let customers decide what our hero is and let customers tell us what they want to buy rather than the reverse. That's amazing. I love Excel spreadsheeting your way into something. That's definitely a verb we need to start using. So with letting customers decide, did they tell you to move into apparel or did they tell you about the nap dress and that led you into the apparel space? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, the the kind of greatest things I've taken away from my professors at business school and kind of my like early entrepreneurial education, just from the founder community in New York, was to give people opportunities to decide. So really to use your minimum viable product to find out what people react to. So rather than, you know, asking a customer, like, do you want us to go into apparel? Show them apparel, show them the price you're thinking, show them what your aesthetic is, show them what you're trying to propose and see how it does. And so for us at Hill House, that really meant putting things out there, putting products out there into the universe and seeing what the response was like. And so that's what happened with our nap dress. And actually physical retail was very important to that. Um, We had a store on Bleecker Street for years in the West Village in New York where we're based. And we used that store as a little laboratory. You know, we, we would put items in that store that we had kind of two pieces of, 
but we wanted to see what the reaction was like. It was like samples fresh off the factory floor. And that was just pivotal to us. And during the last, you know, over 12 months of no physical retail for us, we've been doing the same thing on Instagram. And we were doing the same thing on Instagram when we started too. So I think taking advantage of as many opportunities as possible to allow customers to tell you what they want, but give them something to work with, right? Because they're not working for you. (laughs) They're not sitting in your boardroom, like on the whiteboard, like ideating. I think you got to give them something to work with. I love that. Yeah, they're not going to sit there brainstorming with you and having them be able to see something to guide the way they're thinking, to guide their desires. There's two things you said there that I actually want to hit on, like using the store as a mini laboratory and then without the retail space, moving that onto Instagram. What does using it as a laboratory on Instagram look like for you? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, I keep thinking of like old school, like 1950s focus groups, right? Like where you like have the double way mirrors and like you're hearing and seeing people respond to like, I don't know, it's always like soda or something in in the 90s movies I'm thinking of. Um, But (laughs) for basically turning it into a focus group. So in the store, how it worked was I spent as much of my time as possible in the store and just sitting there watching people, you know, they have no idea if I'm running the business or working in the store or some combination of both and hearing what they have to say about the product. And then, you know, trying to do a similar thing on Instagram. So whether it was in the early days, we did a lot of Instagram polls, right? So we would show people a couple of different colors of something and see which colors they reacted most strongly to. But my real version of that is not as obvious. I really think listening in is the way that you get this kind of information. So for me, it's KPIs like shares. So looking at how many times if you post, uh, write something on stories, like say it's a prototype of one of our dresses on stories, the best indicator to me is the number of shares and reposts it's getting and shares even more so because people don't think they're being watched with the shares, but you can just see like, you know, if this dress got 500 shares and this other dress got like 10, what's that behavior mean? It means everybody's sharing it to their friends and being like, oh my God, I must have this. So I think that's my version of listening in in laboratory on Instagram. And we do versions of that all the time, kind of tracking how people behave. Also, if you're posting on grid, looking at how many saves a post gets, looking at just the general engagement rate. So how people are commenting, how they're reposting, all that. I love putting a focus on shares because like you said, when you put a poll out there, it's really easy for someone to like, I I love Instagram polls. It's a really easy way to collect information, but I also vote on things all the time as I'm going through Instagram. It's just a very easy thing to do. If you take the time to share something, it means that it moved you in a way where you want to show it to someone else. And I think that's a fantastic place to like dig deeper and look for those things. When you started to put some, you said like, Hey, we're, we're experimenting in store. We're putting some products in there. Any, any kind of like failures before you found the nap dress? Oh, so many. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, so many. I I mean... I think it's such a key part of any entrepreneurial journey to just like have like endless product failures. Um, but that's why that's why I think it was it was great to really start slow and we focused on profitability from the beginning. We focused on building building our business in a kind of fiscally sustainable way um, with much smaller order volume every time we went into a new category. So I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but like I remember being like obsessed with cocktail napkins, and it's funny because we actually just released some cocktail napkins on our site. But I was just like convinced that. Cocktail cocktail napkins were like going to be it. And I like figured it out and like, yeah, people like them, but they weren't like getting so excited (laughs) the way that they were for some of the other products, like the, uh, like the NAPTRA. So, um, I mean, there are so many like that. I can't even tell you. It's just like the most humbling thing ever, physical retail. You can just, you're just like, you got to put all your ego behind and just be like, all right, I'm here to to observe. (laughs) 
I love that. Now, obviously, the nap dress did take off. So what about testing it out there with people? Like, what did you see? What told you, hey, this is it. I want to go in this direction. So it's it's funny. Yesterday, I was looking for something in my email, and I found this email from 2018, where I had written this like very long and very earnest proposal to my team that involved the nap dress. And I'm like really pitching it. And it's so pure. (laughs) I'm like, really want everyone to be on board with it. And I'm so happy I found that for a few reasons. One, because I think it reminds me that this was not like a throw gum at the wall and like see if it sticks. It was like really thought out and something that I was personally super passionate about. And it's so nice. (laughs) It's so nice when when that ends up being something that works for the brand. Um, And I think that's a good thing to remember. But I think it was really important to me in this email. I said, I just want to try it once and let's see what happens. And so we tried it once we launched it and, you know, we spent over a year developing the product. We launched it in 2019. And from the day we first launched the nap dress, every drop we had after that sold out, like, you know, kind of within 24 hours. So it, it was really from the beginning, we could see that people were reacting to this product in a way that they that felt really exciting and different. And it felt like it was really meaningful to them. And and there's this effect that we call internally the group chat effect. And I think that it's like the most happy thing for us that we see that a huge portion of our customers find our product through their group chats with their friends, their friends from middle school, their friends from college, their friends from like their apartment building. That's where, where news is spreading. And we can see it. We see screenshots of it on Instagram. They tell us, um, you know, when they email us. And that really is what happened with the nap dress. It took off in all these group chats and went from there. So it's the power of a good group chat to me. (laughs) I love that, the group chat effect, because like in e-commerce, we talk about referrals all the time. And like some people have some good referral programs, some people, some not so good referral programs. Me personally, I think that a lot of people ask for it too early. But I think the biggest thing is we talk about word of mouth all the time, but like in the age of the internet, it's, it's about those places where you have like Let's call it like a micro community, a micro community where you can talk to someone and being able to, I mean, I love how you shared that you can see this because everyone has a group chat with someone, whether it's your family members, your coworkers, your soccer team, your baseball team, like being able to share in those smaller places. I think that's fantastic. And I think that's like the the new digital word of mouth. Absolutely. And I think for us, it was so important that we, you know, we barely focused on referral. We barely focused. We didn't have any referral program until last year. We didn't have any affiliate program until last year. We didn't, we spent like peanuts on, on paid marketing. And, and all of that was because we knew that those things couldn't fix a bad product. So we wanted to create a product that people felt genuinely connected to, genuinely loved, and would want to organically share regardless of referral and all of those other things. And then once we had that, those would all just be icing on the cake. Affiliate and referral and paid marketing, they can't create something out of nothing. They would all kind of bring that to life in a, in a whole new way. So, so I'm glad we had that perspective from the beginning. Yeah, there's no fix for a bad product. And- yeah. <laughs> everyone listening, no amount of amazing marketing will fix that. Now, clearly you have a product that people love. And when I check out the site, there's so many iterations and styles of the nap dress for people who are listening. Like, how do you test, find those kind of like iterations and like next styles? Like I'm assuming we've come a long way since the nap dress was originally launched to where we are today. There's so many versions of it, so many styles. Like 
How do you find where to put your effort like that? So certainly listening to customers. So for example, our very first nap dresses came out, they were semi-sheer. So semi-sheer means that you either have to wear a slip under it or a bathing suit or something over it, right? Otherwise you'll be walking around and it's a little bit see-through. And it became clear the first drop that people wanted it to be totally opaque. They wanted a version of it that they they felt comfortable wearing semi-sheer inside, but they loved this dress so much that they had to wear it to the grocery store. They did not just want it as an inside kind of house dress. And so immediately we worked on finding opaque fabrics. You know, a later version of that was as it came into winter and holiday season, people wanted a thicker fabric that was warmer. After that, it was, I'd love a version with sleeves because I have 10 of the version without sleeves and I want a new one that I can style a little bit differently. So all of those things we gained, you know, from a variety of different sources, a huge amount of that happens on Instagram. Like a huge amount is like DMs from our customers them posting the product and saying things about it. And then also on our email channel. So like emailing in with our customer service agents and and chatting about like what they love. Um, And then, you know, another like kind of beauty of our business is many of the members of our team, we live and breathe and wear these things every day. So we're also kind of acting over like what, what we want which I think has been really a wonderful aspect to the business um, that, that our kind of um, thoughts match up with a lot of what our, our customers are asking for too. I love that you, you and the team are your, your customers yourselves and being able to live and breathe it gives you an inclining of where to go next and email, Instagram. Have you ever done anything more formal? So like, it sounds like you have a great community of people who are talking about this, sharing their insight. Do you have any tips for maybe a brand that's listening right now and they really want to be getting that feedback, but they might not have that engaged community where people are openly sharing yet? I guess kind of two questions there would be any tips for getting your customers to be more open with you or any place where you think someone could, part two, can people build something where they can find a way to get that feedback maybe more formally? Yeah, you know, the formal feedback piece is tricky. I tend to be a little more cynical about formal feedback just because it's such a laborious process (laughs) or it can be. So I would say, you know, taking time away from people is always so tricky. I mean, I think the most valuable thing for us was taking, you know, our earliest adopters and talking to them, right? The people who we could see had, you know, two or three dresses right at the beginning and were so excited about our product and asking them, you know, for their thoughts. Um, And I think, you know, you know, asking friends, asking like, you know, somebody you're sitting next to at dinner for for kind of thoughts about, uh, you know, the big questions that you have um, and making it easy for them too, right? Like, you know, not a choice between like, are we doing like dresses or home, but rather a choice between like, do you care more about having your shoulders covered or would you rather like a longer dress? Like, kind of making it um, a little simpler to answer the questions too. Um, But I would say it involves a really direct relationship with your customers, which I think is just such a wonderful benefit of being a D2C company. Um, If you think about like fashion designers in, you know, the 90s, for example, like they're not getting feedback directly from their customers. They have to wait till the end of the season for like a Nordstrom or Barney's buyer to tell them, hey, this is how things worked on the sales floor. So as much as business owners today can get themselves on the sales floor and whether that's Instagram or an actual sales floor, or it's, you know, any number of other channels, like be that physical salesperson, because, and I know this from, you know, my past work, like the people who know the most about the product are the people who are selling it on the sales floor and, and get yourself in that position as much as you possibly can. 
Yeah, I love that. And I think some people have this fear of, I don't know, I'll call it picking up the phone. You said like, hey, find find your earliest customers and start asking them. Like the people who have who are with you from the beginning, the people who are making those repeat purchases, they're gonna be will like for the most part, they're gonna be willing to talk to you and share. Like they're already, they're already committing so much to you. So I think that's a really really smart idea. And this idea of like the sales floor too, you're right. Like fashion back in the day, I have to wait for my numbers to come back through the retailer rather than going direct to the customer. Right. And I like that idea of like balancing the two, because I feel like D2C is great like for that, but a lot of people end up looking at their sales data and trying to just look at the numbers to figure out what to do without any of kind of that qualitative feedback. It's like, oh, I can just look at what the top seller was. And like, now I know everything. Right. No. And I think it's so, it's so tricky too, because like, just as an example, and I know you meant this in the metaphorical sense, but like, I hate talking on the phone. Like I literally (laughs) sooner die. Like it's awful. (laughs) Like if somebody calls me, I'm like, do we have to, like, I'd rather zoom. I'd rather do anything, which is like, you know, extremely millennial of me. Um, (laughs) But, but find the channel, right? Find where you're already talking to that person. You don't like have to start with like, hey, can you help me? It's more like you should be in a conversation with your very first customers anyway, even if it's just writing an email that's like, hey, thanks so much. Like we really appreciate your business. We see you. Exactly. And then down the road, getting into incentives and stuff, I think always helps too. Like, you know, nobody's mad at like giving a little discount for as a thank you. A hundred percent. Now we've talked a lot here about finding those products, customer interactions, customer feedback. This all led from betting, to dresses. Once you made that decision, what did that look like on the website from like a customer experience side of things? Like you have a, you have a website selling betting Mm -hmm. and now you're starting to introduce all of this apparel, like any challenges with doing that from like a website experience or like customer experience side of things? Yeah, definitely. Um, So, I mean, simple things like we work with a lot more models now. You did not need models to be (laughs) to model betting in quite the same way that you do need need them for clothes. So, our budget for photography went way up, which was was super interesting. And you know, we had to model out as we were thinking about our budget for the year. So, I mean, that was one big change. But I would say overall, probably less than I would have imagined. I think that people we've seen that our customers interact with the company in the same way they did when there was an apparel. Um, and I actually think physically, like in person, it's it's more challenging. So for example, our store on Bleecker Street, when we opened, it was just betting. And by the time we shut down the store right, right during the pandemic, we sold a ton of apparel and we had no dressing rooms, not a single dressing room. Mm. So that's just like, you, you need to have a dressing room if you're a business that sells apparel. You know, being online makes things like that a little easier. And, and, you know, I should mention, we always had policies like free returns and exchanges. If we hadn't, and in betting, like people just don't, the customer behavior is just not to return betting, right? In apparel, it's a dressing room. So people will always order two sizes, test them and, and send back the one that doesn't work. We love that. We want you to do that. We're happy for you to do that. So um, luckily, we already had a lot of those policies in place that were were kind of flexible for an apparel company. But I would say the model one and the photography one was the biggest kind of sticker shock for us. That's interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Just like the photography cost, getting models in for the shoots, like that's a huge thing. And like, you know, it's so important to us to show our product on a variety of different body sizes. So, you know, hiring three different models of different body shapes and sizes to show all the dresses and different sizes. Like it's just, you know, we wanted to be intentional about that. But I, I would say it's like one of those things when you come from being home into going into apparel, you're like, whew, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. 
And like even even the learnings too. Like I, I like how you compared. Hey, in our store, like we were selling bedding, we didn't need a change room. Now we have apparel, and now we're now we're missing that. And comparing that online and saying like, hey, returns and exchanges are the the fitting room of of the internet. So free returns, free exchanges. Like, do you see a lot of people taking like? I guess I'll, I'll phrase this as a question of, do you feel like that free returns and exchanges policy makes your customers more willing to give you a try? You know, I've never quantitatively tested that, but I know as a customer myself, it just gives you a lot more confidence in the company, right? Because there's something that seems sketchy if people really don't want you to like return an exchange. <laughs> it's like, what's going on there? And for us, you know, it's really this idea of A, having nothing to hide and then B, just wanting to make life easier on the customer, right? You don't want to order your size and then exchange and then wait for the new one. Like we're happy to set up our business that way if it makes things easier for you. So, so I think that we've certainly seen that our customers are happy with it. And I know internally, we all we all kind of feel like that's the preferred um, shopping experience for us too. I love that you immediately went to me as a shopper and what I think. Like it, it's such a it's such a good way to think about things. Like we buy things all the time that we don't love. Like I'm sure you've bought something you didn't love it. That company wasn't making it easy for you to do anything about it, and you just put it in your closet and forgot about it, and you never interact with that company again. Yeah, and it's sad because I think the the thing that you know, like the, maybe the business school way of interpreting that would be like, well, that's saved dollars, right? But it's not saved dollars because like, look at the lifetime relationship of that customer with you. And they have this thing sitting in their closet they don't like, like what a negative experience. And so much of what we do is about bringing happiness into people's homes. And so the idea of having like one, I really believe this, having one thing in your closet that doesn't make you happy, life's too short. You don't need that. (laughs) So that's really not what we want to kind of create with people. I love that. And you're right. So many brands, like so many companies look at it as, oh, it's safe costs. I don't need to send anything back. They're okay with it. They didn't love it. I love like what you're saying. Make sure that everything in your closet is something that you love. I 100% subscribe to that way of thinking. And if that person loves it and hey, maybe it took you sending one back, but now they're more likely to come back and purchase from you again. Like you said, the group chat thing, they're more likely to share this in their group chat if they actually love it. Exactly. So we have the added photography costs. We have returns and exchanges or like the online fitting room becoming a bigger thing. Anything in terms of like how you set up the website? Like you talked about different models different size, like trying to show different sizing like that, like anything on the website that drastically had to change as you made that transition from bedding into dresses? Yeah. I mean, you know, before I worked in this space and like the e-com space, I think I had this like grand vision of like, you have these like website redesigns like every couple of years and that's it, which is like, you know, I think probably a very naive thing for me to have thought. And now I realize it's just like a constant ongoing experiment. Like you're constantly looking at how people are behaving on your site and adapting to that. So rather than like these big changes, it's really kind of this constant monitoring of like what's working for people. So for example, you know, we've had video um, on our product pages to to show people how like a dress moves or a skirt moves or something like that and what it looks like kind of moving. And, And we watch, we see how people, how much time people are spending on that video to decide, you know, whether we should use it again next season. So I think that that's really how we use our site a lot right now. Um, and that, that without that kind of constant monitoring and, and evaluation of what the customer journey is like, you, you kind of end up with all these features that you don't necessarily need. I love that too. So like over the years from bedding to dresses, it's not like there was just this like one moment in time where there was this big sweeping change. It's iterative. You learn something from 
again, from customer feedback and from looking at what you're seeing on the site through the data. And you can make that, you can make it an iterative thing. You can make a small change here and those small changes, they compound on one another until, like you said, it's not a big grand reveal. It's you look back two years and everything's drastically different, but it all happened in pieces as you went along. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, over the years, we've definitely had like kind of people want us to define ourselves, right? Like, are you a home brand? Are you an apparel brand? Like, what do you do? What is it that you sell? And I think for us, the view has always been that, look, we have these cohorts of customers and these cohorts of customers all behave differently. And so we're a different definition to each of those customers. Um, And so there's no reason to like have like this like line in the sand that like you must be home or you must be fashion or you must be accessories or whatever, or even like we sell some baby and kid stuff, like you must be a baby brand. No, we see the age range of our customers, we see how people behave differently depending on which group they're in. And we kind of see that we don't need to define ourselves by those labels. And and we'd rather kind of let customers figure out and discover and, and, and tell us what they want us to be. It comes back to the beginning when you said we sell happy things that like, yeah. <laughs> you're not, try, you're not trying to put like a, a box around anything or a definition. And I, I personally love that. Now, throughout this episode, I'd say like the major theme is customer feedback and making sure that you have that open line of communication to your customer. For everyone listening, like what is your number one tip to build the best customer experience? Like if you want your customers to love what you're doing, where would you start? What would you do? I think engage directly. So engage directly on whatever channel they exist on, TikTok, Pinterest, Instagram, you know, email, text, find where your like kind of early customers are and engage with them directly there And on a personal level, right? Not as robots, not as anything other than, you know, the person behind the company. I think at the end of the day, it's it's really all about kind of humanity and and human to human interaction. So get right in there with them and start engaging the same way you would kind of engage a new friend. I love that. Now, I think this is a great spot for us to wrap. I'm going to try to do my best to to give a summary of everything we talked about. And you tell me if I miss anything or if there's anything you want to add. So Big thing here is listening to your customers and finding a place where you can engage with them directly, not where you want to engage with them, but where they are and being able to meet them there. And there's certain things on different channels that are going to give you a little bit more information. Like an in Instagram, we said like, hey, people can vote. But what we really look at is the shares. Look at places where people are putting a little bit more commitment into something to try to draw those conclusions from. We talked about the group chat effect, which I think is a fantastic way of looking at kind of like the word of mouth of the Internet. And we talked about iterative steps towards making the best customer experience, the best website experiences. You can learn a little bit as you go and make those changes over time that become big changes when you look back at it. And again, customer experience is everything. We talked about like betting and every product launch was, hey, what is our customer going to think? And let the customer shape the experiences they want, the products that you're selling and being able to deliver in the best way for them. Love it. Perfect. Very. I, I, need, I need you around all the time. <laughs> I always forget what I say. <laughs> now, before we let you go, is there anywhere where our listeners can follow along with you um, active on Twitter, on LinkedIn, a blog or anything like that where they can follow? Yeah, so we're most active. So I'm at Nellie Diamond on Twitter and on Instagram, although I'm just a lurker on Twitter. I'm very active on Instagram. On Twitter, I just watch. Um, And then you can find Hill House at Hill House on Instagram um, and all other platforms. Awesome. We'll put those in the show notes so people can find them. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That's 
Open the Exchange, presented by Loop, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.